back to the Section K podcast. My name is Caden Rutherford. I'm joined with Cody Headland and Colbrin Blue Larson. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the cotton stakes cutting that just ended in West Monroe, Louisiana. Dive into all the champions and talk about what was the cotton stakes 2019. After that, we are going to break down the two-class proposal structure uh, that the non-pro committee has brought forth. And then lastly, we're going to talk a little bit about the breaking news that took place yesterday. Um, Kirk Slaughter resigning from his position as the executive director of the NCHA effective December 31st, 2019. And we kind of give our thoughts on that and what we need to do as an association to keep this ball rolling and keep uh, the NCHA moving in a positive pace. So thanks so much for tuning in to the show today. Sit back and relax and enjoy today's episode of the Section K Podcast. We wanted to start off today's episode making a little correction here at Section K. We like when people keep us honest, and uh, we wanted to make a correction last week. We had the 5-6 intermediate champion as Cookie Banuelos and Queso Cat. Cookie was a champion at the Idaho Futurity. He was the 5-6 intermediate gilding champion. However, the 5-6 open intermediate champion was none other than Dylan Meyer and Rockin' KW. Uh, they marked a 225 in the finals. I don't know how we forgot about that, but um, looking at the Idaho Futurity website, mistakes happen. I think the wrong document was uploaded to the wrong results page and none of us at the section k podcast were in idaho unfortunately we're paying that much attention we even saw it on facebook and everything yeah as much as i would have liked to have been up in idaho though and seen it in person we weren't there and like i said we wanted to make that congratulations and make that adjustment so big shout out to kim and Whit davis bear davis rocking kw and big shout out to dylan meyer the cow picking son of a gun as our friend Thomas Bray said in his interview. So big congratulations again to all the winners of the Idaho Futurity. Bingo. Well, boys, just rolled in yesterday evening from old West Monroe, Louisiana. The Cotton Steaks Classic was hot and steamy, per usual. The great state of Louisiana. Shout out to LSU Tigers, too. It was fun being in Tiger country uh, on game day, but... Yeah, heck of a show for Lloyd Cox. Picked up the Open 4-year-old championship and the Open 5-6-year-old championship on Gary and Shannon Barker's Ms. Baby Cakes in the 4-year-old and also the Barker's second spot. Hashtag fraternity champ right there. Wowzers. Um, in the 5-6 non-pro, Madeline Colgrove, Sweet Baby Marie. Picked up that title. Ryder Carpenter and Flashin were the 4-year-old non-pro champions. Uh, in the 3-year-old divisions... Uh, the three-year-old Open champion was A Star is Born and Michael Cooper for owners Belterre Ranch. And your three-year-old non-pro champion was Ashley Gallion and Bo and Ashley's Lourdes. Um, the Derby amateur champion was Ms. Julie Beasley and CR Dueling Out Tough. And the classic amateur champion was Stephanie Sheen and the great Metallic Alex. Moving on to the mid-level divisions. 
the open four-year-old mid-level champion was Section K interviewee Ryan Moore and I'm Not Blue for owner Shadow B Ranch. Be sure and check out Ryan's interview if you hadn't heard that one. Rodeo Cowboy right there. Uh, the five, six-year-old mid-level champion was the great mare, the queen, something to believe in. Um, Brett McLaughlin uh, showed that one for his lovely wife, Jody McLaughlin. The five, six-year-old non-pro mid-champ, Colt Moore, highbrow Nadine. Uh, the four-year-old non-pro mid-champion, none other than yours truly, and homegrown gilding Mexican radio. Also picked up the four-year-old mid-level amateur championship. In what, what? the futurity mid-level, Guy Woods and Itch Travel Smooth. That's a really good name, by the way. Picked up the mid-level championship for owners EE Ranches. And in the three-year-old non-pro mid-level division, Jordan Vaughn and CR Tough Caddy Trey. I don't know if you guys know Jordan Vaughn or have seen him around. He's an amateur horse training son of a gun. He's a Georgia cowboy. I've kind of got to know him. Fairly decent going down to West Monroe. He's an unbelievable guy, great horse trainer, and a cattle-picking son of a gun. You'll see him go from his show horse immediately to a turnback horse and start helping uh, some other amateurs, which I think is super cool. So shout-out Jordan Vaughn. Congrats to him and CR Tough Caddy Trey on their championship. In the limited divisions, the four-year-old limited open champion was none other than Daniel Sanchez and Jackie Davison's Tankery and Stilettos. Big shout out to Daniel Sanchez. Picked up his uh, third feat. He's won money in the NRCHA, the NRHA, and now the NCHA. So pretty impressive. Yeah, here at Section K, we thought that was a pretty cool little tidbit. He had a had a Facebook post about it and made made a cool note about that. I thought that is a super cool accomplishment. So big shout out to Daniel Sanchez over at the Matt Miller cutting horses ranch um, big shout out to you for getting that tongue twister of a name yeah, too. love that tankery and stilettos that's a that's the one out of ms pepto and stilettos correct me if i'm wrong you're not so i won't <laughs> <laughs> um in the five six limited open some kind of sweet thing and christian miller were the champions in that division in the four-year-old non-pro courtney holland and play like bama were the limited champions in the 5-6 amateur, Oklahoma Cowboy T. Worley and M.K. Tim. I believe they marked a 218 for that championship. And there were co-champs in the four-year-old limited amateur, Cindy Maybach. And something in red tied Mindy Costello and two-spot Shakur. That might be the greatest name of all time. Shout out Tupac. Yeah. Um, overall, fun time in West Monroe. wish the weather would have been better per usual, but who am I to complain? I had a great show, had a great time. Um, it's always a fun time when you can go hang out at one of Robert Charles' shows. They're always great. The cattle are generally pretty good, um, as best as they can be. And Same with the weather. Yeah, it's the best that it can be. <laughs> yeah, the show setting, I thought, though, was, was fantastic. It's always fun to go see Kenny and and go see uh, Mark Holler of Sombrero Brands and some of some of the usual faces that uh, are always there supporting uh, Robert Charles shows there in in West Monroe. And big shout out to the Catfish Dinner. Everybody knows that's one of the one of the mainstays and the highlights of any of the shows at the Ike Hamilton Event Center. I did not go to Crawfish City this show, this show though. I was, what? Yeah, I was. Thanks for not going. So then 
like rubbing it in our face. I couldn't go without you guys. <laughs> I mean, hey, come on. I appreciate that. That would be messed up. What about Duck Commander? Did you go there? I've been to West Monroe like 10 times, and I've never gone to Duck Me Commander. Either. But I did go to the Eskimo Hut a lot of times while I was there because <laughs> there was nothing else to do besides drink some adult daiquiris and watch football whenever I wasn't showing. So yep. just trying to stay out of the heat. So. K-Rudd, you got a pretty cool picture posted on Facebook. You had a lot of swagger in that picture. Yeah, <laughs> through the roof. Thanks, man. I don't, I'm don't. i not sure w- which photograph you're – The one of you looking up at the score, <laughs> looking over at Porterfield and smiling like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one was pretty funny. <laughs> the one we shared funny. on our Facebook. Yeah, yeah, that was a pretty terrible picture of me for sure. But, no, it's always fun. Like I said, after – What West- about Lloyd? Yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable show. I love watching Second Spot. She's definitely turned into one of my favorite horses to watch and make sure I watch every one of her runs because, like, she's so phenomenal. She's one of those ones that we'll look back on in 10 years and we'll be watching her babies at the Futurity or at the Super Stakes or whatever, and we'll be like, I remember watching – Yep. Whether it was her run at the Super Stakes where something kind of bobbled at the end and Lloyd didn't end up winning, but it's like that was still a hell of a run. You know, it's like just being able to watch her in a show setting and hold tough cows. And I mean, I was saying the cattle in West Monroe are generally good, but I mean, in the finals, like Lloyd was saying in, in those videos on the Lloyd Cox uh, Facebook yeah, the page. Friday Fields. Yeah, I mean, those are cool. He's just talking about how he pretty much said that he chooses cattle based on the go round and the situation. So I guarantee you in the finals for him to come mark these two twenty fives and these big scores like he always does, you know, he's looking for the highest headed gray cow in there with its tail in the air. So <laughs> I mean, big shout out to Lloyd. That's a heck of a feat. He it seems like every show he goes to, he's doing something crazy or has some stupid amount of horses in the finals or winning multiple championships or something, you know? Yeah. It's because he's a goat. Yeah, no, he really is, man. There's no arguing that. And I actually saw somebody somebody commented. I think it was Tyler Lewis commented on the Friday Feels video that Christina had put up with just the goat emoji, and that yeah. kind of made me happy. So <laughs> Colburn, like- have you watched those? Yes. Um, I, I think it would be really cool for a lot of other guys to have those too, uh, and just different point of views from – different trainers like that but uh when the goat's talking everybody's listening (laughs) absolutely that's a fact yeah i think my favorite part of them or when he's talking about handling cows because i feel like that is the biggest variable in cutting for me and i just think that i mean everybody's got to use the same ground it's it's all the same situation pretty much except for the cows and listening to how he handles cows and I mean, obviously he's not, I mean, he's got a couple championships to back it up. So yeah. Well, it was just kind of interesting hearing him talk about that stuff and then like putting it with uh, thousands upon thousands of times where he like is in 8 some point something million. Times. Yeah. Just like he's in some stupid, crazy hard set of cows and nobody's getting along and he steps in there and, He's in the middle of them, and it's like I can mentally picture it, but he's just literally just watching them flow all around him, and he just has that perfect one that just pops out, 
and he bumps it up there a couple of times, you know, like Lloyd, that signature, just two or three bumps up to the judges stand and just starts getting it on. So for me, it was kind of cool to hear him explain that after we've seen it in person, like yeah. you said, millions upon millions of times. Eight point something, maybe <laughs> almost close to nine. I now, think that's huh? right. I think that's right. Today's episode of the Section K podcast is proudly brought to you by Brazos Valley Equine Hospitals. Brazos Valley Equine Hospitals was founded by Dr. T-Bone Buchanan. His dedication and love for the equine industry has led the practice to develop multiple facilities across Texas, including Navasota, Stephenville, Salado, Cyprus, and even internationally in Brazil. As one of the largest practices in the state of Texas, their hospitals feature experts in sports medicine, reproduction and alternative medicine, along with board-certified specialists in internal medicine, surgery, critical care, and emergency. At Brazos Valley Equine Hospitals, your horse's health is their passion. With the highest quality care available, their goal is to care for each patient from conception through retirement. As highly trained and dedicated professionals, they are committed to exceeding expectations, and to helping each horse reach its full athletic potential. Visit them at www.bveh.com. A topic that has generated a lot of buzz and has been pretty popular amongst NCHA members, and whether it's discussed on Facebook or discussed at the cutting, is the new leveled two division class structure um here at the section k podcast as some of you may know we have our own resident non-pro committee member mr cody headland we thought um we've discussed the the two class structure a little bit here and there on some previous episodes but we kind of wanted to dive into that a little deeper so cody could you kind of explain that briefly to the people i'd love to <laughs> So, basically, uh, we've been talking about a level two division class structure within the non-pro committee for a couple years now, and we talked about it at the convention. It was brought up. We talked about it in our closed session meeting, and we decided that we wanted to um, try to propose an idea to help the NCHA sport of cutting and the NCHA and the sport of cutting grow. And basically the things that were on our mind when we created this was one, making everything simpler, uh, having the open leveled exactly how it's proposed in the other leveling proposal that's been put in, but then combining the amateur and non-pro into one class and adding levels to it to facilitate for the large amount of entries that are now going to be in the class. And just before we go any further, I just want to ask this question because I feel like as soon as people here combine the amateur and the non-pro, they automatically think or they automatically assume. And I mean, whenever I first heard this proposal before I did any research or understood the proposal, like, I mean, you hear the combine the amateur and the non-pro and immediately people think that, Oh, you're doing away with the amateur or someone in the 50,000 amateur. That's one 20,000 is going to be competing against 
someone in the Riders Hall of Fame or someone that's won three-quarters of a million dollars. And just so we're clear, that is not how this leveled two-class system would be, correct? Correct. There is five levels, and the way we made each level was by using just the member numbers, not any entry numbers of classes or, or anything like that, just the member LTEs. And when we got to looking at it, we wanted to change where the levels were so it made it more fair for everybody and you would be competing against people that have won the same amount of money that you have regardless of where they grew up how they grew up or anything else you would be competing against somebody in level one you would be competing against everybody that had won less than twenty five thousand dollars and so on and so forth and we're going to be putting out uh a deal on Facebook that you guys can look at all these slides and everything. And, but there's five levels to the merge division that will allow everybody a place to come cut against people that have won the same amount of money that they have completely leveled on money one. And we felt that it was the fairest way to do that. But then on the other hand, you got to realize that there are people that grow up in this and there are kids that grow up in this and you wanted to have a place for somebody that an amateur that didn't come into it later until later on in life, maybe just got on a cutting horse in their forties and you have a 20 year old kid that's been cutting since he was little. Well then, then we made these bottom two levels that are under 75,000 one for the, it's between 25,000 and 75,000 for the, the second level, which would be level two, obviously. And those are protected because you can never go back in them once you graduate out of them. So, because so we wanted less, to have a less protected twenty five k and the twenty five to seventy five k, correct? Correct. And we wanted to have a protected level that those guys could compete on their own, true entry have their level, own, a true entry level class. <clears throat> and then we just moved all the other leveling caps around to where they encompass more people. But this is all the members. These are all the owners that don't show horses that just own great horses or what or whatever so we did this as just like a a rough draft if you will like it wasn't it was a rough draft of a proposal of an idea that we thought could work to help the ncha and that's all it was but basically it it follows the same leveling proposal that has already been implemented and talked about and done it's just making a lot everything a lot more simpler and streamlined to where everybody still has a place to cut and we can keep our numbers up because when we keep our numbers up, it's when the purse stays up. Agree. And to me, it seems that folks are not really driven away by the idea of, of this, but it's like, to me, this is more of an entry-level way of things than, say the current amateur is for instance so let's use the 50 am for example you can sure surely everyone uses that as the entry level example i mean say Correct. what you want but it's not it's not an entry level class 
at, at an any aged event with the with the age re- requirement and the age loophole or whatever 60 and above rule there's folks that are showing in the 50,000 amateur at aged events that have won hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of dollars so for me and someone who's brother and dad and other family members that are complete novices to the sport are true amateurs. It's just super hard. And the current leveled as, or not leveled structure, I should say the way the 50 amateur is now, it's just not a way to grow the sport. In my opinion, like it's hard for me to want to enter my dad or my brother when they're showing against someone that's 62. Sure. They're a little older than them, but they've got tons of show experience under their belt. And to me, I don't think it's right to have someone that's is a true beginner competing against someone. So I think this, this two classes, I mean, the bottom two levels, if you can't ever roll back in them or there's no age requirement, I mean, there's your, there's your way to get, get folks in the show pen and get, get not only new people, but we need to start targeting people that already have horses, which are our lopers and our people that work behind the scenes. I mean, those folks also want to show, you know, like let's start making it to where, it's not only accessible, but it makes sense for them to a buy a horse and make that commitment and b show a horse. Yeah, and b show a horse and actually take the reins and, and get to experience what they're working. Exactly. For exactly. I mean, yep. sure, it's it's one thing to be in the back and get to lope all these great horses, but I mean, at some point, I mean, you know how it is, Colburn. You know how it is too. Like at some point, I'm sure you get tired of just working, and it, you you eventually want to lope one or prepare one that you're eventually going to go down there and compete on. Cody, how does the revolving door work for the leveling in the two class structure? And being that the, the top end, the fifth level is LTE 300,000 plus, and how many years goes by before you can move back down to, uh, level three. So, um, I'm happy you asked that because that's another confusing part to this deal. But another thing that we tried to do, um, when making this two class structure is just like you said, is bringing people in that are working and being a part of this industry, but don't get a chance to show also bringing people back in that have left. Um, because there's a lot of people that have left cutting and, quit cutting and started doing something else for whatever reason it may be. And they come back and, and they're not as competitive because they don't do it as much as they, they used to. And, and as much as it requires to be in the top level or, or a higher level that they were in. So we, we added the revolving door to allow people if they wanted to come back in to cutting and as well as, people that maybe had a really, really good horse one year that pushed them out of a level, but they weren't quite ready to be out of that level. And they can also roll back as well. And we, and we put that in there. So it's based on the top 100 riders from the previous year. If a rider is not on the top 100 list, then they may drop down a level. So that's why we added that. And if you're in the top 100 list, then you compete wherever you're eligible and you can't go back down but if you're not and you hadn't competed or you had a down year it's an incentive for you to get back in and also not be bombarded with being in the top level of the non-pro and i think that's that right there is the 
really important part of this being a pretty good idea. I just think that this helps everybody out so much because of what you're saying there of some people either money-wise or not, or the horsepower, horse flesh, consistently getting it. Um, there's very few that are consistently at the top all the time. It, I mean, there's just a handful of those people. But doing it this way, those other people that are that are competitive but sometimes just does, don't have the horsepower, I mean, it, it allows them just to keep to a chance to keep going and keep competing. I'd like to know y'all's thoughts on this, but I think the numbers and the, I guess the, I want, I don't want to use barriers, but caps. like, yeah, the caps, I think that these are the perfect numbers in my opinion. I think the mid-level is exactly 75 to one. I mean, that's exactly where I am and that's exactly where I would classify myself right now is like, I'm just kind of middle of the road. I've won right, literally right smack dab between 75 and 150 K. And I think that that would be actually a pretty level playing field with pretty much everyone that has won that. I mean, if you've, if you've won that, whether it's all weekend earnings, I mean, if you've won a hundred grand in weekend earnings, you're pretty damn tough. You know how to cut. You have seen and been a whole hell of a lot of places. And if you've won a hundred grand in aged event money, like you know how to cut. Yep. You're not a, you're not an amateur anymore. I mean, you might be classified as an unlimited amateur, but you're not a, you're not a beginner. You're not a novice at this deal anymore. Well, in these caps, when we made them, we took them strictly on member data. We didn't use any entries. and, And I said that before, but so once we get the entry date, like I said, this was a rough draft. Once we get all that in, these caps can change as well because we want them to be, obviously we want the top level to be the top level. And that brings me to another goal that we had when we were creating this was we wanted to protect the top level because everybody comes and competes for, at the fraternity every year for that $200,000 check. Well, it's not quite that anymore, but everybody competes at the fraternity because of that big money at the top open level. And that's what we've seen for years and years. And the more money we added there, the more entries we had in the open. And then it slowly declined. And as well as, and when the entries declined, so did the purse. So those were our three. Well, and there was other things we tried to do and, and make sure we took care of when we created this was entry level and being able to get back if you've had a down year or quit or used to do it when you're younger and then went and got a real job and now have a real job and want to get back into it. And <clears throat> the other thing is everybody is a non-pro and all amateurs are non-pros, but not all non-pros are amateurs. And it gets confusing to have a class without that kind of segregation makes everything so much simpler because now when this happens, it's going to create that hub that we've been spending a lot of money on for years. It's going to allow this to be so much easier for that program to run our whole situation and keep track of everybody's eligibility. Well, and I just think too, I think with the current format and the way the non-pro entries are, I mean, I think both of you guys can vouch. I mean, it ain't cheap to go enter the four-year-old non-pro. I mean, obviously in Fort Worth it's not, but 
I mean, even at the cotton stakes or even at, even at the bash or even at Vegas, like you're, you're looking at spending a pretty penny to go compete. And I mean, even the mid-level of the non-pro, it's not no $800 like it is in the unlimited amateur and the 50 amp. So to me, like I was saying earlier, like we need to capitalize on folks that already have horses. We need to, we need to make sure that every single trainer whose kid or whose wife or whoever it is that lives on the place is has a horse and is going to show and wants to show and it's feasible for them to show because right now it's not feasible for I'll just use I talked to Ashley Flynn she's one of my good friends up at the Cotton Stakes her daughter Madison everybody's seen her at the shows she wanted I mean she was dying to show she works her tail off at all the cuttings behind the scenes getting amateur horses ready doctoring feeding whatever Sean and Ashley need her to do she's doing it doing her schoolwork and it's like Ashley's like, I want to give her more opportunities to show, but it's like, A, I mean, y'all both know being a trainer's kid, A, your dad has to find a good deal on a horse. Your dad has to make the horse. I mean, it's just like there's so many things that go into showing as a trainer's kid or as a trainer's wife that not many people think about, in my opinion. And I don't know. It's like, we got to make it easier on the people that are already in this and, and make it easier and more feasible to get those folks in the show pen on a regular basis and not just on special occasions. Cody, what do you think is the most beneficial thing about the two class structure? Simple is easy. When you take out all the gray area of where you grew up, what your dad did when he when you were growing up, what you were into as a kid, how much time you really spent at the barn or how much time you didn't. And it makes everything easier. I mean, there's other associations that are doing this. Other cutting associations are doing this. In the U.S. and the American Cutting Horse Association, they have a two-class structure. And in the World Cutting Horse Association, there's an amateur division, but it's only restricted by LTEs, how much you've won. So trainers, family members can show in it as long as their LTEs are less than 50,000. And so when people say, well, the non-pro committee is self-serving and we're just trying to do this and do that and we're going to go cut somewhere else. That's a little extreme. Well, it is extreme, extreme. but the same associ- or the other associations that you're going to be going to are doing the same exact thing that we're trying to implement. And, and again, it is a proposal. Like and at the end of the day, <laughs> even though I said this last time, it yeah. was a proposal. Yeah. And we talked about it in our closed session meeting. It was talked about in the amateur meeting. It got brought up in there. And it also got brought up in the general membership meeting. That means all y'all. If you're at the convention. Which, if you're at the convention. If which we I were. just think that and it was it brought up there too. And they told them that we talked about it in our closed session meeting when Sherry recapped what our closed session meeting was about. And then we went ahead and came up with the proposal. So I think it is just something that um, is not to be just ignored. I mean, I think a lot of people just need to be open-minded about looking at what all is being proposed on it and not just ignoring it because there's one thing that you don't like about it. And I'm not saying yay or nay on it. I just meaning be open-minded to uh i feel like something that could potentially be very beneficial 
to the NCHA. Well, and beneficial to the NCHA and the cutting horse market in, say, 25 years. I mean... Yeah, because at the rate the cutting's going right now, our kids aren't going to be. No, absolutely not. Or at least the NCHA. No. But that's... And that's one thing that people don't even realize about this proposal is we disagreed on it amongst ourselves before we ever came up with it. I mean, we had the levels and we went through and and Sherry got us all these spreadsheets of where everybody was at and LTEs and all this stuff. And I mean, we bounced these levels around a lot to try to come up with a with a happy medium for everybody. And and like I said when this entry data gets if unless the petition that keeps getting passed around gets signed and and people don't want the two class structure anymore. Um I mean, when we get entry data, we can vet it and and see if it's going to work because we don't know if it's going to work. When we proposed it, yes, we came up with an idea that we thought would work. Does that mean it's the correct idea? Absolutely not. But at least it's a step in somewhat of a direction so we can get everything figured out here. Because obviously, as if you have Facebook, you know, or if you've been on a cutting horse in the past two days, you probably know there's a lot of turmoil about all this. Yep. Well, and I think the misconception, and we've addressed it already, but it's like too many people think that whatever side you're on, that one side's trying to take something from the other. And, I mean, I get the whole discontent amongst amateurs of not wanting to compete against, I mean, Cody Hedlund or or Megan Miller or someone that is won a million dollars or is approaching that milestone, but... I mean, it's not do your research before you hop on Facebook or you start running your mouth about something that you don't know about. And that's really all I have to say about that. I didn't want to show against Marianne Rapp and Sandy Benelli and and all the greats when I was growing up. I've been cutting on the non-pro level since I was 16 years old. That's 13 years of solid cutting against the best in the, in the non-pro division. I didn't yep. want to. But I had to, and that's yep, fine. Same. I'm fine with it. I'm not mad at I anybody. I wanted to a little bit. Well, I mean, exactly. We we wanted to, but we had we had no, to. Yeah, there but was we no wanted option. to. There was but, no option. Exactly. I went from the 2000 limit to the 20 non-pro to the non-pro, and you guys might not recognize these names, but showing against Bobby Kennedy's, uh, Lee Brooks, Karen Brooks. I mean, just people that. I was in contact with Jimmy Kemp, Mary Jo Milner. I mean, I had to compete against those, and I was a 16-year-old kid. And that's, at the end of the day, that's discouraging for a lot of people. Well, that's why, I mean, we took all these things into account when we came up with it. But let me ask you this one question. Aren't we cutting horse competitors? Isn't yes, that sir. the whole name of the game that Amen. we're competitors to compete against one another? It sh- I mean, the way I was raised, I played a whole lot of select baseball and traveled a whole lot playing, whether it was Dallas or San Antonio or Omaha, Nebraska. And you competed against kids your same age. Yeah. And if you got out of the pickup or got off the bus and you were mentally out of it, you might as well not even put your spikes on and run out on the field because you're going to get your ass handed to you. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you're worried about, A, what the other team's doing or what kind of bats they have or what kind of spikes they have or if they all have matching Rawlings gloves or 
they look the part, you know. I mean, if you're worried about that, just don't even don't even lace them up and you're go beat out before there. you step exactly. on that field. And to me, someone that I mean, I started showing in the aged events right off the bat. I mean, I showed a year or two in the youth, didn't really know what I was do- doing, and then I went to college and I got to either show all, all the time on the weekends, and I mean, if you've listened to this show enough, you know I love football way too much to sacrifice my weekends to go sit at a weekend cutting. Shout out all the weekend cutters. Mad respect to all the all the folks that are slaving away and sweating away <clears throat> on the weekend trail. But I just wasn't going to do that. And I started going to aged events, and I started not only entering in the amateur before the unlimited came along, I would enter the non-pro too, just to get that extra run. Because the only way I was going to get better was going down there, crossing that timeline, sweaty saddle blankets. I mean, that was the only way I was going to get, get better. And that's how I realized that I could actually compete in that division. Made some, made some non-pro finals here and there have won some non-pro events here and there, whether it be the limited or, or the mid level. And it's possible. It's doable. I mean, you buy good horses, you work hard. Sky's the limit, baby. Anything is possible. <laughs> well, and and like Cody said, it, I mean, I think I wasn't, I think I was either 16 or 17 when I showed at my first aged event. And I uh, was either, I was, I think I was 18 or 19 when I showed at my first fraternity. And, um, I mean, both times, the first time I showed at an age event, I won it on the limited 5.6 non-pro on DS Miss Wilson Freckles. And then the first time I showed at the uh, Futurity, I made the Futurity finals. And I feel like at both times, just in my head mentally, I was ready to show at an aged event. But I didn't show earlier on growing up, even though I showed a lot, it was a lot more weekend shows because... I mean, too, obviously my parents are paying and they're they're not going to take me to an aged event and let me show at an aged event at at the price it is if I'm not ready to compete against the big dogs. And I mean, I'm ha- I'm going in there and, and competing against uh, the best the first time I'm going to show to age events. And granted, I had showed a lot, a lot before I ever showed at an aged event. And uh, so I had experience that way, but dang sure didn't show at age events at an early age just because I was probably just not ready to do that. And all those horses that you just listed, CBL, all those horses were raised on your ranch, were they not? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Every single one of them. Uh, they're, I mean, the money that I've, I have won, I would, uh, I mean, they would be horses that either uh, we raised or, uh, like the, the stud we had for a long time, Wilson's little freckles. Uh, my parents bought a bunch of younger ones right when we, we bought him. And, uh, but a majority of the money I've earned at age events, horses that we raised on our place and not the points that I won in the youth, there'd be a lot of the points that weren't horses that, uh, we raised, but yeah, thanks for all the, pretty much all the money I've won at age events is horses we raised. And see, that's, that's, you guys are talking about the whole situation right here is everybody comes from somewhere different. I was a lot more like Colburn. I grew up in this. My dad's been a horse trainer ever since I was a kid. 90% of the money that I've won has been on horses that we have raised and we have created and we have trained. 
And yes, there were some horses in the beginning that we bought. Weekend horses and and shout out Shut Up and Cut, one of the best horses I'll probably ever get to ride. But he like everybody's story is different. And making these adjustments to our association, you have to take that into account. You're not going to be the same. I mean, you live right here in Witt, Texas, and everybody has a different story that is in Garner of how they came about it and where they came from and, and how they're into cutting. But there's a lot of people here that are into it. And you got to take everybody's situation into account and figure out the best one that works for everybody. Because like I said before too, this is going to hurt and it's going to help people. Some people are going to have to give something up. Some people are going to get extra. But at the end of the day, we have to do it for what's best for NCHA as a whole and keep striving to make everybody happy and everybody, everybody in the world needs a place to cut. Amen. Hashtag grow cutting. Yeah, I can't put enough emphasis on everybody needing a place to cut. That's super important to grow in the sport of cutting and keeping this train rolling. Um, If you haven't heard, you're about to hear right now, Um, There was a note posted on the National Cutting Horse Association Facebook page that read to all NCHA members, I'm announcing my resignation from the National Cutting Horse Association effective December 31st, 2019. It has been an honor and privilege to serve this great organization, which has such an incredible passion for cutting horses. Thank you for allowing me to be involved with the many wonderful members of the NCHA. Sincerely, Kirk Slaughter, Executive Director National Cutting Horse Association. Man, pretty dumbfounded by the news that sad. I woke up to and sad. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what do we do now, guys? What's uh, What do we do? If you want my opinion, which you doesn't matter, you're going to get it anyways. This has got to stop. This turmoil that we're talking about. You guys, these are all proposals. These are all ideas. I want cutting to be around. It's been my way of life since before I was born. And same with Colburn and same with a lot of other people. And and same with people that are enjoying it now after they've gotten into it later in life. They want want to keep cutting. And everybody's going to be asking reasons why Kirk resigned, what happened, what, what did NCHA do now. Well, you know what we did? We didn't get behind him. We didn't help him. We didn't make his job easy. There's nothing but turmoil and bad talk about everybody, whether it's you're for or against limiting horses or you're for or against a two-class structure. And, and who wants to deal with it? I mean, we've all been acting like a bunch of kids, and we need to figure out a way to all get along and figure this out. And I know this is kind of a extension of what I just said at the end of the last conversation, but it's ridiculous. And the truth hurts, but everybody needs to hear it. Nobody is more or less to blame than the person, the member that's sitting next to you or standing next to you or whatever. We're all to blame. So put your swords away. Everybody, whether stuff has happened that's been right or been wrong, it's in the past now. It's been done. Let's move forward and try to keep 
growing our association because everybody that's listening to this right now probably loves to cut and loves hearing us talk about cutting, talking about the goat. And we started doing this because we love it. And it's, it's really hard to be excited about cutting when a win picture gets posted and nothing. And that one of the first comments is somebody degrading what you've done and what you've worked for in an industry. So that's my town hall soapbox. Um, but I'm just as guilty as everybody else. We all need to get along. Um, but you can't expect a man to, you can't expect a man to try to help an association out. Kirk's a great man. He, he worked for the city of Fort Worth for many years. His wife holds a really good job in another equine industry. He didn't need this. He, he did this cause he liked cutting. He enjoyed cutting and he wanted to try to help us in a spot where we've obviously all been having trouble. Um, and he, Probably just got tired of it. If you want the answer, that's probably what it is. But uh, that's it. You guys can ask questions or say whatever you need to say now. Yeah, I mean, I just think that, I don't know, we're from a generation where not only debate but discourse and, I mean, all that's supposed to be welcomed without fear of being threatened or, or, I mean – are we really gonna gonna throw away all the relationships and all the friendships we've made in this because somebody disagrees with the leveling or disagrees with the limiting of horse? Like, really? Is that really why? No, Coburn likes the Texas Longhorns, and I absolutely <laughs> hate them, and I still love him. Exactly. I mean, hook him. <laughs> Texas is not back, by the way. I'm still <laughs> mad about 06. I'm so mad. I even said that last week too. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, that's kind of funny that we mentioned college football, but like in this day and age, people will argue to, I mean, till they're blue in the face about why Clemson is better than Alabama or why the committee messed up on this. But at the end of the day, when college football season's over, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Every, I mean, you are interacting with folks of different teams or, or I mean – doesn't really matter you're sure you'll argue whenever the time is is right and whenever it's presented but whenever it's not there like just shut up and everybody be cool like why why is it that whenever joe blow and bobby joe smith down the road they argue about something that has to do with cutting and then they can't ever be friends again like how crazy is that i can't imagine us three disagreeing on like let's just say when we're going to put the podcast out okay so i want to put the podcast out on tuesdays like we've been doing but cody wants to put it out on wednesday like okay we don't agree on that so we're not friends anymore let's throw away this would have been over a long time all ago. this shit <laughs> oh, that man. we've built whether it's your horse program whether it's your podcast and your business let's just throw that out the out the window and we're not going to get along we're not going to speak anymore like no, no more. Like, is that really how things are going to be and how we're going to do this whole NCHA thing? Like, that's the most childish, infantile way of thinking and way of disagreeing that you can possibly go about doing. Like, it's just not productive in any manner at all. 
Well, it, I mean, all three of us, we have argued points, I mean, outside of the recording, but we have... We have argued our points till we're blue in the face with each other sometimes, and I think along with time, we've gotten better about how we have our discussions or the ideas of what we want to do. But, I mean, I think it, it's fair for all three of us to say that there's been times that one of us has been mad at the other one, but it was, I mean, it was Amen. nothing that was, there w it was nothing that was going to end our friendship. It was just we were passionate about what our our thought was on the situation, and then uh, then you realize uh, three days later or a week later, you're like, "Wow, I probably could have handled that differently." But uh, we, I mean, we're still very, very good friends, and we want this podcast to be successful. But we want this podcast to be successful because of cutting. We we do all of this because. We love the cutting horse. I love the feeling of going down there and having an awesome run and everything working out and being able to go to the next show and do the same thing and then you fail and then you want to go back home and work harder at it just so you can go to the next one and get that feeling again. And exactly, I mean, this is a perfect example of what we need to do to grow this sport and to fix and remedy what's going on right now and it's okay to disagree that's always going to happen but and i think i speak for all of us in this too we've disagreed with things on this podcast that we've talked about whether it's when when to post what to post who to post i mean where and we've argued about it and one disagreed with the other one but then like you said, three or four days later, we could have handled it differently, but you also might be like, hey, he does kind of have a point, though. Like, that makes sense. Or maybe I was wrong. Or maybe I was wrong. And then we yeah. get together, and I know personally I've said to you, Colburn, about situations like, hey, I didn't even understand what you're trying to say, but I totally do now. Three days later, sorry about disagreeing, and we're off and running again. And that's what has to happen. Because we're not going to get anybody in here that's going to help us grow this sport if we can't do it ourselves. And that starts with getting along and respecting the person that you're talking to. That they might have a point too. Because as we've already discussed, everybody comes from somewhere different. This is a big melting pot of a lot of different types of people. And we got to make them all happy. With all of that being said, we're going to go ahead and call it quits for today's episode of the Section K podcast. Big thanks for tuning in to today's show. Big congratulations to all the winners at the Cotton Stakes Cutting. And big thanks to Robert Charles Brown for once again putting on a great show. And West Monroe, Louisiana, can't wait to be back uh, for the Ike Derby in February. And big shout out to everyone out in Rancho Marietta at the El Rancho Foothill Futurity and Fiesta. So um, all the pictures and some of the footage I've seen from out there looks like an unbelievable time. Looks like everyone's having a great time and looks like so far pretty good weather. So um, good luck to everyone competing out there and safe travels to all the Texans that are going to be driving back east from Cali um, at the end of the weekend. So um, once again, follow us along on Facebook. If you have any
um, thoughts on today's episode, send us an email, sectionkpod at gmail.com. Shoot us a DM on Facebook or Instagram. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Retweet our stuff on Twitter. Yeah, get on Twitter, Section K Podcast. Um, tweet at us. We'd love to favorite. start fi- firing off some tweets, um, discussing anything, whether it's your favorite horse or why you think Colburn and the Texans Longhorns are the biggest frauds in America. So, out. Um, <laughs> That was harsh. They did play good. It was it was one of those at the end of the year that's going to be a bad loss. They played really good, but the Cowboys played better, right? CB. Damn boys, boys are back. Uh, Once again, big thanks for following along. Thanks for downloading. What about the Broncos? It's game night, man. Game day Broncos. Shout out Cody and. I hope I'm not going to be a sad Broncos fan tomorrow. I hope you are. (laughs) There's nothing I enjoy more than seeing the Denver Broncos lose. Oh, that's sad. But I, I haven't was... came at you on the podcast yet. but <laughs> You were protecting me. I'm sorry. I just don't like the Broncos. Anyway, as I was saying, <laughs> we hope everyone has enjoyed football. We hope you enjoyed Monday Night Football last night. You already know the result of the Denver Broncos game. Um, again, holler at us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. Thanks again. We'll see you down the road. One love, folks. Bye. South Texas town on a Friday night Filled with bathtub drugs and barroom fights The kids drive out past the hills to Make love neath the Marfa lights A man that gets off a little bit early And Jerry's waiting for saying won't you hurry I got a safe fifth of whiskey I've been gone three nights and I hope you miss me Jerry worked in the valley on weekdays But a minimum wage couldn't please his ways He loved to booze and he loved to gamble Amanda loved him even though he was hard to handle And she worked in a diner owned by her Paul. Jerry spent his off days running in the law They'd get high and make love till dawn On the runway while the night stars heard their song Their love would take him so high They'd never worry about the fall they were running fast to love, but even faster from the hall. While most of the boys were off in them, old Jerry stayed back and tried to work the land. He knew he never had farmer's hands. And soon he had a change in plans, so he bought himself a small prop plane. And he learned how to grow a new type of cane. It didn't make sugar and it didn't need rain. And a lifetime in jail is what it would bring. It was East Alpine down 118. Fly low to Coila not be seen. Cash for cargo and then return back to the barn where they'd cook up everything. And Amanda would help him land at night. She'd dance on the runway with a big spotlight. He'd hop off the plane and say we made it all right. Then drop the duffel bag to run and hold her tight. The love would take him so high they'd never worry about the fall. 
They were running fast to love, but even faster from the law. So on a two-day binge, they made their plan, and he landed night on some private land. She flashed the light like times before. Coast as clear as one, and troubles twice or more. Jerry came in at midnight flying low, but no light shined from down below. Then a flashing light went on and on. Since troubles more than once, Jerry just flew on. And his panic went through his mind Saw the sirens crash through the brush line He watched the agents raid from above He knew he still had the cargo But he'd lost his love And he thought of how they caught on and found him And he hated himself for keeping Amanda around him To follow her love, she left her past behind Now she'd rot in a cell And Jerry passed the borderline Jerry passed the borderline